Jesus, I starting off with saying motherfucker within the first two <laughs> seconds of a show clearly tells you what the tone of the show is going to be today, right? Exactly. So on this episode, episode 256, Breaking Cafe with Boudron and Barry and Sweet Lou, the three best friends you didn't know that your motherfucking had. Woo! I will tell you, amongst everything else, we're going to do a little Florida man or not. For you, the listeners, we're going to be doing a match of the week. Oh, Barry, it's been a hot take since we've been to Mempho, Tennessee. Woo! Talking a little Mempho. Uh, we're going to be talking about some stuff going on in our lives. Uh-oh. Barry Rose, before we start, a couple of things real quick. At the time of this recording, I am happy to say that the sainted Mrs. Bowdrey and I, yes, we're in the new home. Woo! Thank God almighty that is out of the way. Barry, when you moved into your, uh, or uh, I don't know if you uh, did it voluntarily or were forced out by the finally <laughs> sainted yeah. Mrs. Rose, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, did you have to go through the lengths of getting a moving company, that kind of thing? I did. And for me, it was a little, and then uh, let me, I'll tell you, and then certainly tell us your story. Mine was convoluted. My movers had to, they met me at Sam's Club where I got my bed frame mattress and a couch. So, because I didn't have a vehicle big enough to be able to transport a couch. I thought you were going to say the proverbial pot to piss in, but that's another story. Well, that's, and that as well. But my movers met me at Sam's Club, took the stuff in the truck. Then they went to my house and got all my personal stuff. But I did have to have movers, yes. So, the reason I bring this up. Uh, first of all, shout out to my boy, uh, Dave Flaherty. Uh, Dave, by the way, Barry, have not yet told you this, going to be doing a new segment on the Facebook board because really? Dave is nothing if not Mr. Vegas and will be offering up his own opinions on the upcoming football season, Barry. Oh give my some, God. Uh, best choices, uh, stuff to stay away from. Uh, you know, we've talked about that privately because we talk more than we, uh, we tell people, but no, Dave helped us because, you know, Dave works in the industry, uh, you know, the moving industry and, uh, it kind of did a little research along with his boss, Hanan. Uh, they did a little research on the company that we ended up uh, having move us, uh, because uh, I don't know if you know this, Barry, much like the pro wrestling industry, the moving industry has some sketchy characters. Uh, and so I, I gotta tell you, uh, Flaherty told me a great story last night. Just imagine this nightmare scenario, Bear. So he told us about, uh, uh, some people not that they had apparently one of their companies uh, that had reached out to them. Apparently they had uh, contracted a moving company, uh, moving company shows up with a rider truck. Okay. So like, you know, Barry, just say for the sake of argument, you uh, decide you're going to go with a uh, Mayflower. I'll just use a, sure. a well-known name. Okay. And uh, the Mayflower guy calls you and says, Oh, we're going to be there in 30 minutes. And they show up not in a Mayflower truck, but in a rider truck. Okay. Uh, so then they go and they load up all your stuff and they're heading towards your new house, wherever it is. Well, and then they get pulled over for a, uh, let's just say, uh, some sort of tag violation, speeding oh. ticket, whatever. And the police find out that apparently Ryder has contacted them with a stolen vehicle report because the people that are, are doing this, they're, they're in the moving business, but apparently they haven't paid Ryder in like six months, uh, for the uh, lease of the uh, truck and Ryder wants her truck back. Go figure. So now the truck gets impounded. Okay, the poor guy that was moving now can't get his shit off the truck because the vehicle's been impounded. Oh. And so, like, you know, Dave was telling <laughs> me that they, the, his boss had to call up the cops and say, uh, look, you can keep the fucking truck, 
but we'd really like to get this poor guy, you know, this poor schlub, we'd like to get his stuff off the truck so that he can have his house, you know, oh, my God. Can you imagine what a kind of nightmare scenario that is, Bear? That's it. That, you know, and, and I don't think, I don't know how many people have positive experiences in moving. I, I made that move from Florida up to Pennsylvania. I'm, obviously, I've moved all over the country, but we did that a few years back and, uh, we lost some items. You know, there's a box that's missing and something's broken. And then you find out what the insurance is when something's broken and the hassles you have to go through. It, it's a scam. I, I just, you know, and this is not to impugn. Have we ever used that word before? I don't know. That's a very good use of the word impugn. impugn. Im, or impugn. Either one. <laughs> I like that one even more, actually. I'm going to use that one. But I uh, I don't want to say the moving business uh, because I'm sure I am positive there are reputable, honest moving companies out there. Unfortunately, I'm not sure I've ever dealt with any of them. So I will say that uh, the guys that moved us, who, by the way, as they're as they're loading up the truck, we were talking, and apparently I had uh, uh, I had some some wrestling related uh, stuff out oh. uh, waiting to be packed away. And it turns out two of the four guys wrestling fans bear. So, oh, so I did a good little name dropping and, and stuff like that. Uh, so can I ask uh, you? Can I ask you a question? Go ahead. Was the was the tip an autographed copy of your book? Wow. Well, <laughs> it's it's book. worth its weight in gold, truly. What's very- your name there, Mr. Mover? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So shout out to uh, my guys, Malcolm, Asiani, and Jack, uh, who uh, help with move. Now, let me just say, I'm not going to impugn the young man. There was another guy on the crew, okay? And uh, this is about right? We figured out that he was the new guy because uh, as uh, Kim was uh, introducing everyone to me, because I had, I had, uh, taking our son over to the the new house with our dogs because we were worried about the freak out factor with our dogs, having all these strange people moving in and out of our house. So uh, I come back and my wife's introducing, you know, me. And so this uh, other guy who's the new guy, a young kid. And uh, my wife says, Oh, well, what's the guy that's on the truck? Uh, what, what's his name? I think he's the su- your supervisor. I don't know. So Kim's like, well, apparently he must be new because he does not know the name of the guy that he's working with. So one of the things that happened is uh, where you said you used a moving company, correct? Correct. Okay. So did your movers use a copious amount of moving uh, tape and uh, pads and all that kind of stuff? I don't really remember. Yeah, well, they, I, they, I think like so, but I don't know. You're packing up furniture. They wrap it in pads and stuff and, you know, masks. Oh, I did it all myself. I did. I packed up everything. The last so, big move. You moved I your made. dining room table and your. Uh, your oh, no, 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 no. I don't do that. No, I didn't. Uh, I, we left all that shit. Okay. Yeah. So the young guy, uh, the new guy, apparently was uh, fixing the masking tape to different pieces of furniture. And Mrs. Bowdrin was coming up and saying, Hey, don't put the masking tape on that because number one, I'll either never get it off or it'll like tear, you know, uh, like you'll see a nice little chunk of, of the wood coming out there. And, uh, he did it anyway. And we we're a little disappointed in that, but I will say the other guys, Malcolm, Siani and Jack were, uh, good guys, did a good job. So Malcolm and Siani, both big wrestling fans. And it was like, what about this guy? Do you know this guy? And I'm like, I pull up a picture. Oh, yeah, here I am with that guy. Really? Wow. Yeah, yeah. And I, I love the fact, Barry, that – and by the way, they uh, both subscribe to our podcast. So welcome, guys. Glad to have you. Yay. Uh, but uh, I, I love that, like, the one guy goes, uh, yeah, man, uh, you know, the, that wrestling uh, – I, I heard uh, sometimes when they bleed, it's not real blood. I go, no, no, it, it's real blood. Yeah, okay. But sometimes I'm not sure. You know, it's like you, you can tell them 
uh, hey, this is what's going on, but they're, they're just not quite sure. But anyway, good guys, and uh, they uh, they helped us out. We really appreciate it. I certainly appreciate my man Flaherty for uh, for helping us out and uh, doing some background search on on this company and uh, finding out uh, that they were you know a good uh, good company to move with. Because quite frankly, there was another company that we looked into that. Eh, they might have said, you want to stay away from those people. So uh, we, in fact, stayed away from those people. Now, Barry, before we move on, I just want to get to a couple things real quickly. I know the sainted Zoe is now a student at Pitt. How did the move go? Uh, so weepy dad time, that, people. Weepy I dad. was going to say, if you love the weepy dad segments, I'll actually spare everybody that. The move went great. She was uh, – it was really a special time. I didn't take the lovely Linda with me on this one for primarily Linda also had to work, but I also wanted this. Uh, I, I kind of needed this for me and, uh, you know, with everything that's happened over the last couple of years. And I've said it before, but Zoe and I have become so close and it's very hard for me to, to digest the fact that I'm not going to see her you know, a few times a week and speak to her and she's right around the corner. So I really needed to do this. The move went great. I showed up. I had a lot of her stuff. I moved it in. I helped her. We hung out a lot. We uh, hung out with Zach now for several months. Uh, Zach deeply in love and the the uh, the four of us, Zach, his girlfriend, Zoe and myself, we all had dinner one night. It was really a nice time. And uh you know, I cried when I said goodbye to Zoe as I knew that I would, you know, and, and how much she means to me on a daily basis. Sadly, as I reported to you uh, earlier, Zoe caught COVID. She is the only one in the family that has not had COVID prior. And uh, she now is sequestered, quarantined and watching Netflix until she can come out of her room. But move went great. I got to tell you, she embraced college life the same way her brother did. And as a parent, that's all you ever want, Jeff. Absolutely. So uh, before we uh, move on, uh, there is one other thing I want to mention. We had discussed last week, Barry, that we had got the unfortunate news that our friend Howard Brody was uh, very, very ill. And you called me, uh, I think it was yesterday, to tell me the news at the time we we're recording this, that uh, unfortunately we lost our friend Howard Brody uh, Howard has passed away. I did post something about it in the group. Uh, very sad, Barry. You know, it really is, too. And I got to say, uh, there was this outpouring of love from people that knew him. Howard worked with a lot of people. And Howard was a guy that he he loved as none of us can even reach that level the way that he loved the wrestling business. And Howard had been a successful promoter in the Tampa area for several years, but Howard had some bumps along the way. And this is, I mean, I'm not speaking out of turn here. Howard had some things that didn't quite take off and maybe even exploded or imploded. And uh, to his credit, he never got that bitter taste and he kept trying and I love that and he he came back three or four years ago and was trying to do the ring warriors project which was the thing he had done with hero Matsuda before hero's death and it, it didn't work out didn't work out either time but Howard was always trying to figure out a way that he could successfully get back into the wrestling business and and I and I there was something about that that I really loved because so many people you know, in any facet in life, if you get burned, you're like, fuck this, I'm done, right? I'm taking my ball and I'm out of here. And Howard was a guy that continued to try 
to be successful in a business that we know is really hard to be successful in, and it's a very cutthroat and political business. And Howard kept trying, and that was all based out of the love of professional wrestling. There was a bunch of people, and that promotion he worked with uh, in the early – I think it was the rebranding of the NWA in the early 2000s, and they were running Tampa. Howard was the president at one point, but a lot of the guys that he worked with were posting memories, and there was a common denominator in all of it, and a lot of them said Howard and I had a falling out a few years back. Or Howard and I didn't always see eye to eye. And I heard that a lot, but the end result, Howard and I were able to make up and become friends. And boy, am I glad that we did. And it, and I, I read that four or five times. And look, Howard was a boss of a company and was running. And as we know, when you're the boss, you're not going to please everybody. There's going to be people that aren't going to like you. And, uh, to see the fact that even though Howard had been at times, I guess, a tough boss, had rubbed some people the wrong way, there was this outpouring of love and respect for him that was really unique because these were people that that personally knew him, and I really loved reading that. If you've read his autobiography, did you ever read his book, by the way? Uh, The uh, Swimming with the Sharks? Correct. Yes, yes, I did read that. I, I always thought it was a sad book, and I never said that to Howard, but I always walked away with the impression that here was a guy that was sad. And, and I believe he had been. I believe if you read it between, you know, the divorce of his, the only love in his life and the fact that he never remarried and the fact that he never, I guess, became bigger in wrestling. And I think his goal was he wanted to really turn the NWA around to make it where there were territories and it was a viable, sustainable promotion. And unfortunately, that didn't happen. I don't know all the specifics of the sale and what took place and it didn't, but I know that that's what he wanted. He really truly wanted that. And, uh, it, it's a loss. You know, it's a, it's a loss. You knew him personally for decades at this point, Jeff. I, I knew Howard not as well as you did, but in the last couple of years, I actually 2015 was when Howard and I kind of became friendly and it, a lot of it had to do with the, the fan fest that Jody Malenko, who will be at the next, at the next CWF Legends fan fest, by the way, Jody Malenko was putting on that big fan fest in Tampa in 2015. And Howard was a, was a big part of that. So I liked Howard. I had respect for Howard. I, I always felt there was a sadness to Howard. 61 years old. No one should have to go out this way, Jeff. Yeah. And also, uh, the guy that wrote the, uh, the Dusty Rhodes biography. Uh, yes. Uh, and, was very active in that uh, capacity also. I, I will tell you, uh, I did not mention this last week, and I uh, don't want to speak ill, but since you brought up uh, that subject, I was one of the people that had a falling out with Howard for a time being. Uh, I have told the story before about my friend Tom Nash, uh, one of the original Blackhearts, and Tommy uh, had uh, – Let's just say some trouble in his life and was, uh, left the country. <laughs> That's a nice way of putting it. Yes. And, uh, he basically went, uh, as they say, zero dark 30 on people. He, uh, he went dark, did not hear from him for good Lord. Uh, I want to say 
somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 or 15 years, uh, there was only one person that I found out subsequent. Yes. That, uh, even knew about where he was and what had happened to him, but that was kept very quiet at Tom's request. Uh, and, uh, that person certainly respected Tommy's wishes. But, uh, when we went, you know, Tommy, uh, for a time had been married to, uh, to Angel Vachon, uh, Luna. And when Luna passed away, there was a service that we attended. Uh, a lot of the South Florida hardcores, if you will, uh, you know, uh, Flaherty and uh, all the guys that would go to the local shows. And Howard had put together a little service for for Angel for us to all uh, come and tell our stories about, you know, our memories of, of dealing with Angel and uh, crazy stories about her. Uh, she was a character in and out of the ring. And so Howard and I were kind of shooting the crap and uh, talking about uh, different things. and. So Howard had told me something uh, about Tommy, uh, and he told me that uh, that Tommy was dead. And let's just say uh, stories of Tommy's death were uh, apparently greatly ex- exaggerated. Uh, and the story ended up coming out in The Observer that on the day that Angel uh, died, Tommy was uh, back, uh, made a reappearance, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> so and so, uh, you know, rumors of his death had been greatly exaggerated. But the fact that Howard had told me this and, you know, Howard was was uh, telling me this based on, you know, some uh, some stories that he had heard, uh, you know, the old rumors, innuendos, uh, supposition, you know, that joke that we always do. Uh, but the fact that he told me about a friend of mine, someone that I cared about uh, and that he basically told me this story without saying, now, I don't know if this is true, but this is what I heard. He basically relayed it to me as if it was fact. And it really, really bothered me that he had done that. And, you know, that uh, he had made me think that uh, a good friend of mine was dead. So time went on. You know, there there are times when you have a falling out with somebody. And uh, as they say, time heals all wounds. And Howard and I were able to uh, reconnect. I don't know if it was through Facebook or what, but uh, somebody reached out to somebody and we started talking again. And, uh, you know, we uh, talked uh, via Facebook Messenger quite a bit, you know, and Howard was, uh, as I mentioned last week, he was a huge baseball fan. He was a huge fan of classic television. He'd love to post on his Facebook thread. He would post like old television trivia and like he would post like 10 or 15 questions, you know, like uh, uh, about classic TV and one of the things that was hilarious, and I and when I posted it in the group about Howard's death, if you knew the answers to two or three of the questions and you answered two or three of the questions, he would get agitated and say, oh, I yeah. only want you to answer one of the questions because I want other people to have a chance to, to answer. It was kind of funny, you know, like you could only answer one damn question if you knew the answer to the trivia. But a good guy, you're right, 61 years old, way too early to go, and he will be missed by all those uh, in the uh, – uh, I will say the hardcore and old school wrestling fan community, as we are wont to do, Barry, uh, Lou, if you will raise a glass and we raise a glass to the memory of our friend, former NWA commissioner, Howard Brody, and uh, fare thee well, my friend, and we will miss you. So, Barry, next, as we move along, the old perfect segue, uh, I told you the other night that I had a chance to go out to dinner with Mrs. Bowdrin, and uh, we happened to go to Red Robin. Uh, and I ask you, you've been to Red Robin previously, correct? I have. Yes. Yeah. And uh, good, solid food, a little bit, uh, you know, it's sort of in the middle between a really 
upscale restaurant and your fast food. It's sort of in the middle there, but they serve a, a very nice cheeseburger, uh, you know, uh, for, uh, you know, 10 or 15 bucks. Jeff, but you're getting, let me ask you a question. What's that? Have you ever had a bad meal at a Red Robin? That's a good point. And they also have the endless fries, which is always yes. a, a good with thing. With that too. spice that you put yes. on it. Yes. The reason I bring up Red Robin, and, and then certainly, and I, I apologize for interrupting, but don't ever you know, do it again. It's, you know that I've got the attention span of a, of a, a titsy fly. So I literally. Okay, Dory. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. If I don't get it off, if I don't say it, it's gone. Red Robin, we, we talked about this recently with consistency in restaurants. Red Robin, from a food standpoint, is arguably one of the most consistent restaurants in the country. And that is, to me, that's 90% of it right there. A lot of it is the way that Red Robin cooks their burgers, they're always the right temperature. They cook them on a conveyor belt. They literally go through a conveyor belt. They know where rare comes out, medium rare, medium, medium well, and so on. So your burger is never going to be overcooked. With that, based off of that consistency and not having my meal fucked up, I love Red Robin, right? It's great. I think it's fantastic. There Sorry. you go. Solid intel from his lordship, Lord Barron, oh, yeah. on the Red Robin. So the reason I even bring this up is I'm doing a delivery with the old Uber Eats the other day, and my order, I get a ping to do a uh, a pickup at a place called Fresh Set. And I sit there, and I'm following the directions on how to get to the restaurant, and, of course, the directions take me right to Red Robin. And I go on there, and I'm like, oh, do you have a pickup for uh, for Barry Rose here? Uh and they're like, oh, yeah, it's almost ready. And, of course, the fresh set was inside the Red Robin. So then later that night when Mrs. Bowden and I went there to get a burger, I asked the manager to come over, spoke to her, very nice lady. And I said, you know, what's the deal with this fresh set? She oh, that's one of our ghost brands. And I asked Barry Rose when I talked to him the next time, I said, Barry Rose, tell the listeners, what is a ghost brand and why would a corporation like Red Robin do it? Sure. So a ghost brand is going to be very similar to the secret menu. It's going to be kind of that secret menu. And you, so if you've gone to an In-N-Out Burger is probably a, uh, a really good starting point for that. So you go to an In-N-Out Burger and you decide that you want the animal fries. Animal fries are not listed anywhere and they can do that fairly quickly. That's basically French fries and, and like the sauce. Sometimes the secret menu requires a lot more work. And I think McDonald's has had a secret menu where you could get, you know, like a triple Big Mac or something like that. It's stuff that requires extra work. The ghost brands are very similar. What a lot of restaurants started doing, especially during COVID, when they were doing deliveries and takeout only is they, they started doing, they started tinkering around with ghost brands. What they were doing was they were cutting down their menus from having like a cheesecake factory, which had like a 47 page menu. And they were concentrating on a few items with that. They were also testing certain items. And a lot of these ghost items are things that they're testing out before it winds up on the main menu. So there are several factors. That's one. The other factor is they're not always prepared. If somebody came in and said, uh, you know, I, because it's on the menu, I want to do the triple Big Mac or something more convoluted, the kitchen may not be prepared for it. You know, they, that could completely overwhelm them. So a lot of times they're doing this so they could test items 
but it also makes it fun. It's kind of the secret menu is that, you know what? I'm going to go to In-N-Out Burger because I can do the secret menu. Ooh, right? Like it's a big deal. You'll, you'll see people are going to go to Red Robin based off of that as well. I bet our listeners are probably going to go based off of that. By God, if you've got a Red Robin near you, go there and say, I want one of the ghost brand menus and yep. see what happens. Yes. So, Barry, I don't know if you saw the other day, before we get to our match of the week, last thing, I don't know if you saw recently, Kevin Durant and the Brooklyn Nets. Oh, Barry, they made nice, nice. And since, you know, when we have baseball intel I need to, to, to discuss, I bring our man Sweet Lou on. When it's NBA talk time, it's time to bring Barry Rose on. Barry, are you there with us, please? Oh, I'm here. I'm here. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So Kevin Durant and the Nets making nice, nice. Oh, yeah. All that stuff in the offseason that we were just joking around. I really I want to be with the Nets more than anything in my whole life, at least till next month. So it begs the question, Barry. Bigger narcissist Kevin Durant or LeBron <laughs> James, or as I like to call him, Le GM. Because let's face it, he's really the GM of the Lakers. So who do you got, LeBron or uh, KD, as a bigger narcissist? That's a, boy, is that the and toughest question of the day. Before, wait a minute, before anyone gets their tits in a bunch, first time we've ever used that expression, Barry, I will say both of these guys, elite, elite players, not big fans of them personally, but there's no denying that they're both all-time greats. Now, Barry, bigger narcissist, KD or LeBron? That's the toughest question you're going to ask during this episode. Oh, just say, when it gets better. It gets better. It, it's going to get harder. It's impossible. KD, in his first few years, was such a nice kid. And I remember having a conversation 2011 and sitting at a table with a uh, a celebrity chef. And he said, you know, that, that kid that plays in Oklahoma, that Durant, he would only been in the league a year or two at that point. He was skinny as a rail. And he's still thin. And he was just all about getting out and winning. He was humble. And somewhere along the lines of the last decade, boy, that's been thrown out the window. Comes off like a spoiled dick. And this whole chasing a title from Oklahoma to Golden State, now in New Jersey. And the only reason he came to New Jersey, certainly money was part of it. But they had said, we're building this team that's going to win a title. You know, 100% were winning a title. The guy had already won a title out in California with Golden State, but there was no loyalty whatsoever, and it's all revolving around him now. LeBron's different only because I think LeBron, I think the whole narcissism probably started at a super young age for LeBron. By the time he entered the league, LeBron already, his shit didn't stink. He already knew it, and again, you can go back to – uh when he he had that special on uh, ESPN about taking his talents to South Beach, yeah, the decision I believe it was. Called. Yeah, and again he said it in the he, he said it in Cleveland or Akron where he's from, and he said it to the hometown kids who were all there to see him, thinking he's going to stay. So imagine your team says this is a good idea, LeBron. Say it in front of a bunch of young school age kids so they can start to cry, which they did. I mean, this is the biggest misstep in the history of missteps. So I just like LeBron as a player. He might be the greatest of all time. He's to me, he's he's number two, probably he's right behind Jordan. But with that, I'm not a fan of some of the shit he's done. Otherwise, Kevin Durant just comes across really unlikable with this whole situation. And I will go out on a limb here, Jeff. Jeff, I will make you this bet. 
right now if you're willing to take it. Hold on, and hold Lou, on. Let me see. All right, what, Lou, if you want some of this action, action. What kind of action do you give me? Uh, three to one? Three to one? Uh, well, no, I was just going to go. Oh, I was okay, going to bet you. Yeah, Jesus, three to one. Who am I? What am I? Uh, you know, right. You're Dave Flaherty. Am I the owner of the Nets? Okay. <laughs> Dave Flaherty, right. Uh, no, but your lunch or dinner at Portillo's is on me at the next Fan Fest if there is no more Kevin Durant drama between now and November the 4th. Oh, please. I don't I, know if we're going to get to next week. <laughs> well, the only reason I would say you might be safe is the league doesn't start for like a week or two before the Fan Fest. So I'm thinking, I don't know, that could be a good bet on your part. But if you're up for it, I say we, we bet a Portillo sandwich on that one. Okay. So let me just ask you, uh, sure. so which one did you pick as the big one? I picked, I, I'm going to pick LeBron still, but KD. Okay. Is so yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to, Throw a curveball at you. What? A relief pitcher coming in in the ninth inning. Now that way I can segue to baseball. Bigger narcissist, Durant, LeBron, or Kyrie? Uh, also, I mean, again, you're pulling out all the stops here. <laughs> yeah. Right now the NBA fans are riveted to this conversation. Maybe Kyrie, maybe because as we all know what happened with Kyrie over the last couple of years, this Kyrie, Kevin Durant thing, Helen Keller, Ray Charles, and Leroy McGurk all know this is going to end up a total <laughs> fucking disaster. Excellent. Am I right, though? Leroy this is going to be analogy there. Yeah, exactly. This is going to be a disaster of epic proportions. They will not make this season with this all working out between Kyrie, Kevin Durant. It just it's not going to work Ben Simmons and Ben Simmons, who another what one fucking go wrong. <laughs> the talent list. First off, there's the there's the difference. The talentless Ben Simmons. This he's this is what could go wrong is a disaster of epic proportions. You're you're hearing it here, but the truth is we're no fucking geniuses over here. This is exactly what I'll speak for myself, obviously, but this is gonna end up a complete disaster from A to Z. If you have season tickets for the Nets, sell them now so you're not caught holding this dog in six months. I know that Jamie Ward uh, is very reluctantly keeping his Ben Simmons Sixers jersey. Well, that's that's a little joke there. At this point, Jamie's stopping the mail jeep and going, what the fuck did he just say? Yes, uh, okay, now it is time, Barry, to go to our match of the week. Yes, we finally got there, folks. We are going to May 14th, 1984. We're walking in Memphis. And we are talking the new fast. No, in Memphis. Thank you, thank you very much. Uh, Mark, was it Mark uh, Mark Cohn or Mark Cohen, something like that? I was uh, going to say Bertie Higgins, but that no, was, that the was Key, Key Largo, Largo guy, right? Thank you. Yeah, uh, but uh, we got the new Fabs, Tommy Rich and Eddie Gilbert, not the original Fabs. We're talking the slightly heavier Fabs uh, versus <laughs> the PYTs, not Coco Ware, as they say in this match. It's Stagger Lee. They don't call him Coco. I don't know if you noticed that. And yep. Norvell Austin, uh, May 14th, 1984. It's an explosive match, Barry, which apparently means falls count anywhere and no DQ. Barry Rose, tell the folks what you thought of this match from my top 100 of the 80s. Oh, I love this match. It's uh, arguably the best match I've ever seen the new PYTs in. And I got to say... Before we even get into this match, the PY, the, the PYTs, the new fabs, they're great in this match. I mean, this is really great. I think in hindsight, and certainly almost 40 years later, right? Uh, hindsight is 2020. 
had they been given another name, had there not been a comparison to the first fabulous ones, I think there there could have been more done with this team. They didn't exactly look alike where, you know, you can make a case for Stan Lane and Steve Kern, but these guys were built differently. Tommy was not in great shape, though he looked decent here, but this match is great. And I, I always felt that maybe I wasn't fair to the new PYTs. Obviously, the promotion and the fans weren't. You keep uh, calling them the new PYTs. I think I you're do. talking I, to the new I'm fabs. The new fabs, and I keep saying it. It's the because uh, well, I'll talk about the PYTs too, and I actually like them a lot. But the new fabs, you know what? They deserved a little better. The the end result where they broke up. I think one of the great angles with our friends Howard Bauman, Pete, the Professor Letterberg, that was great. But Absolute this pleasure match. to be here, Lance. <laughs> it's an absolute pleasure to be here, Lance. And Howard with that big <laughs> pimp-eating smile on his face. <laughs> Pete, nervous. but uh, Howard, Howard's like 15 or 16 years old, and he acts like he's oh, been yeah. on camera for 20 years. He is. He's, so, he's like, hey, Lance, it's great to be here. And he's all <laughs> absolutely, smooth. He's absolutely like super Lance. fucking smooth, big smile. He can, he's, Howard's got the camera presence, and certainly <laughs> milking it and working it. But this is a great match. And what I liked about this match is the fact that it is false count anywhere. They are brawling all throughout the arena. They wind up on a stage. It was dimly lit. You couldn't see it great. I guess they didn't have any foresight to go, yeah, we're going to be up here. Maybe we should put a light up here. <laughs> but but with that, it adds to the rawness of what was taking place because if you if you watch that specific scene when they're up on the stage and they're battling, they're throwing these punches. And I think it's Tommy Rich lays into the referee and slugs the referee. This shit all looks like a shoot. And I don't know if the lights and it was bright, if it would. The fact it's so dark, it does. So I, I actually watched this match twice. I enjoyed it so much. And it's relatively short. I think it's 12 minutes. But a great brawl. Eddie Gilbert, tremendous. And what about the PYTs? Never got the respect that the PYTs deserved. They had a run in Florida. They had a run in Memphis. I don't know if they were anywhere else. Norvell Austin, what really solid worker. I would have loved to have seen him and Coco take the heel PYT act somewhere else. So let me ask you, uh, Mr. CWF guy, when they came to Florida, I know they did an angle with Dutch. Uh, maybe when I'm not, I'm yep, not sure if Dutch right. or Michael Hayes was the booker at the time, but they did the angle where they hit him with the boom box. Uh, you know, Michael Hayes, that's a hit. That's a hit, Gordon. You know, and I think that was, uh, is what led to the, uh, the introduction of, uh, Percival Pringle the third, if I'm not mistaken. But, uh, who did they have their, uh, their big program with in Florida? Do you remember? It was Barry Wind. I think it was Windham and Rotundo. It was Dutch was the big one. Who was the tag team? You know what? I, I take it back. It, I want to say it was Hector Guerrero because Chavo had already left. I'd have to go and double check. They didn't. Unfortunately, they didn't have a huge run here. They were managed by Percy Pringle only around, I think, five or six weeks. But I wish they would have stayed longer. They actually had something going. It was it was working. Yeah, they. uh one of the things I really liked, I mean, they did the hilarious Michael Jackson outfits, first of all. You know, they had yes. the, those uh, red beaded jackets like Michael wore. And uh, what was it? Uh, I can't remember which video he, he wore that in. Uh, 
It's, it's the, the one silver in, glove too. Remember? Yeah, the yeah. Glove? Where, in, in Beverly Hills Cop, where Eddie Murphy walks past the guy who's wearing the outfit and he starts laughing at him. Yes. <clears throat> but anyway, so uh, here's what I got. Uh, again, uh, May fourteenth, nineteen eighty four, the explosive match. Two really good teams, and, and you know <laughs> the, the thought was that Eddie and Tommy as the new Fabs. To me, they're sort of like the Godfather. Jeff, my apologies. I hate to interrupt. Jay and Mark Youngblood was their big feud here. Okay, thank you. Uh, but the PYTs were kind of like, uh, or uh, I'm sorry, uh, Tommy and Eddie were sort of like the Godfather three and that they were very solid, nothing wrong with them. It's just compared to the fa- original fabs, you know, uh, Stan and Steve, who had such a legendary run in Memphis and got over so huge. And I think the reason that they even created the new fabs was that there was some kind of fallout with the promotion where Stan and Steve left. Uh, and went up to the AWA where they had the program with the Road Warriors and stuff. But uh, so I think the creation of the quote unquote new fabs was sort of a little uh, way of the promotion saying, fuck you to Stan and Steve as they were leaving, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So but I compared them to Godfather three because yeah, there was nothing wrong with Tommy and Eddie. It's just when you compare them to the original fabs, you know, somehow <laughs> they they fell a little bit short. But uh, I think this was Tommy's uh, really last good run. Although he did have, now that I think about it, he had the thing with Austin Idol and Paul Lee and, uh, and the King. So, uh, yeah, Jeff, uh, shut the fuck up. You don't know what you're talking about. Tommy always very a willing bleeder. I think that's a, that's pretty obvious. As I said, uh, Coco is a Stagger Lee here because I think he had been under a hood as Stagger Lee. I'm not really sure, uh, who came first to Stagger Lee that was JYD in Mid South or Coco is Stagger Lee in Memphis. I believe it was the JYD version okay. that was first. Uh, so this is the prototypical Mempho brawl. You know, I, I mean, so many people talk about Memphis and the brawls they had there. This is right out of the, you know, uh, the, the textbook. If you look up Memphis brawl, this match, you know, like so many others that we've covered here. Now, is this the greatest Memphis brawl of all time? No, I still say uh, it's the uh, Dundee and Buddy Landell versus Lawler and Mantell match that was so great, like 42 falls in a Texas death match. But there ain't nothing wrong with this match. And I think this match, Barry, I hope you agree with me, definitely should be in the in the top 100 of the 80s uh, because it is just all hell's breaking loose. This match to me sort of came across as a match that was a little ECW 10 years before yeah. ECW. What do you think? Absolutely. I see that. It was, uh, you know, you just said it. This was a solid, really solid brawl. But it was I, I think that what I took away from it more than anything else, it, else, it came across as really believable. I didn't get this. This is a wrestling goonie brawl. If I was in the, the Mid-South Coliseum when this match was taking place, I would have sworn these these teams were actually killing each other. Yeah, and uh, I love it. Randy Hales doing the commentary uh, on this match, uh, and there's a moment where I think Coco uh, hits Eddie in the throat with a cane or something like that, and as Tommy's coming to to help his partner out, Randy Hales on the commentary goes, he, he caught him in the throat with a cane, Tommy! He's like helping the baby faces out. I thought that was pretty funny. The uh, the moment where Tommy is up on stage with Norvell, and he gives Norvell a backdrop on the stage, ooch, that looked like it might have hurt just a little bit. Eddie's in the stands fighting Coco. Then those two move up on the stage. Eddie ta- does a tackle on Coco, uh, takes him out at the legs. Then Randy Randy Hale's announcing that uh, Mr. Coffee says it's a DQ and the PYTs win. And so uh, Guy Coffee, venerable uh, a staple of Memphis wrestling for so many years. That's uh, for sure. Yep. Yeah, both heels. 
get knocked off the cage. So Coco's running to get off the stage, and Tommy <laughs> runs, catches up with him, gives him one last body slam for good measure, which was that was damn nice, Tommy. And then he takes Coco and kind of basically pushes him off the stage. All hell's breaking loose. This is a fun, fun freaking match. If you like ECW or if you like Memphis-style wrestling, this is right in your wheelhouse, and you're going to want to check this out. I will post a link to this uh, in our group, Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry, which, by the way, Barry, uh, if you're not a member, why not? Exactly. We say this all the time. So I actually – here's an interesting one, Jeff, and I don't know if you've ever got We'll this, be the but, judge whether or not it's interesting, but please. Continue. All right. Well, okay. It's – Let's get everybody together, and you guys tell me if this is interesting. But I got a message yesterday via LinkedIn from someone who is a listener. So that was the first time that it ever happened. Usually it's Facebook that I uh, somebody will reach out. But somebody on LinkedIn, and he said, hey, and I when I saw the message come through in a friend request, if that's what it is on LinkedIn, I, I thought it would be something business-related. Instead, it was, hey, just wanted to let you know that I love the podcast. I'm in, I'm on the road a lot. I listen to every episode, and I he's a faithful religious listener, but I've never gotten one through LinkedIn. Facebook, I do. So I encourage everybody, join the Facebook group. It is an extension of what we're doing here with the podcast. It's just a little deeper. And you'll have a blast doing it. And then you can look, you're going to learn so much. We, we put so much knowledge, much like the, the podcast. We, we list penis sizes of various sizes, sizes in different countries. And there's just some great shit there. So please join our Facebook group. And if you want to join the Patreon, which really at this stage, I, Jeff, I have it on really good authority that for those that believe in the afterlife, if you want to go to a good place, Join the Patreon. Come forth with it. Look at you get all religious on people. Oh, absolutely. That's one of our rules. We ban religion, and here I am breaking it, but I'm doing it for the good of the podcast. The Patreon is great. If you go back, and this won't just get you, Jeff, I don't know if you knew this. This just won't get you the recent episode. This will get you all of the old episodes we've done, and boy, have we had some great Patreon episodes. There's no question about that. And uh, so – Barry, I think it's time. Recently, uh, you mentioned the Patreon. We, we did a, uh, yeah. a couple episodes where we did multiple, multiple and extended elongated, excellent use of the word elongated, uh, versions of Florida Man or Not. So, Barry, now it's time for new what? Florida Man or Not. Yeah, no, I'm not kidding, Barry. Are you ready? All right. No, I'm not, but uh, let's bring okay. it up to it. Yeah. Well, guess what, motherfucker? <laughs> All right. Barry, the headline reads, 15 bricks of cocaine wash up on the beach. Man arrested for trying to take some. Florida. <laughs> I'm not done yet, Barry. All right. You don't know if you need to be, but all right. <laughs> okay. Guess what? You're fucking wrong. Really? It's oh, Mississippi. Man. Thank you. very Well-known locale of the cocaine. <laughs> and beaches. Uh, right. Uh, what the fuck? Uh, a Mississippi <laughs> man was arrested on Monday for trying to pocket more then one of the 15 bricks of cocaine that washed ashore over the weekend, Biloxi police, shout out to our listeners in Biloxi, okay. announced that Joey Lee Ware has been charged with aggravating trafficking of controlled substances after he was found with a brick and a half of coke plastered with a Dior label. Now, these are high-level cocaine dealers, Barry. Drawing a connection between all the packages that started to appear across the city 
starting on Saturday. Apparently, it was party time in Biloxi. Volunteers for the Keesler Air Force Base were cleaning up along the beach when eight bricks of cocaine were found, and authorities were alerted of the unusual discovery. Those narcs in the Air Force. The group continued to comb through the area and found three others further down the beach. The drugs, valued at $1 million, will be destroyed, Barry. Oh, there are million bucks. There, there are some in our group that would be incredibly disappointed by that news. I'm not going to name any names. Barry Rose, the next story. Uh, Let me ask you a question. Where do we think it's washing up in Mississippi? Where do we think the cocaine came from? Obviously, it came from the Gulf of Mexico, right? (laughs) Well, let's just say there are various countries uh, in the Southern uh, America uh, or South America uh, that are known to be. processors shall i say uh, of the uh, cocaina yeah uh, so maybe it came from there i don't know uh very next headline human body parts sold on facebook leads to arrest of man wait till you see this booking photo by the way barry uh let's see uh police received a complaint about a possible human body parts being sold on june 14th uh they were led to the house of jeremy paulie where an investigation was conducted after police were able to receive a search warrant for his property in his residence. Oh, Barry, get are, are you sitting down? Get ready. Uh, I am now. Yeah, I'm sitting okay. down. Polly confirmed to have three full skeletons, approximately 15 to 20 human skulls, buckets containing 15 gallons of human remains and organs wow. such as livers, brains, kidneys, etc. According to the affidavit, the documents state that Polly was found to have purchased these human body parts via Facebook from a female in Arkansas named Candace Scott. So you're on your old Facebook there. Uh, let me just type in on Facebook. I'll do a little search, see if I can pick me up some human body parts. So here was a, among the things that the, he purchased from the lovely Miss Scott in Arkansas. One half head. <laughs> it's only half a head, Barry. I hope he got it half price. One whole head <laughs> minus the skull cap. Three brains with a skull cap, one heart, one liver, one lung, two kidneys, one full female pelvis, one piece of skin with nipple, and four hands. Uh, apparently, he made the purchase for $4,000. That's some pretty twisted shit, Barry. Wow. Barry Rose, the aforementioned Mr. Pauly, Florida man or not? <sighs> Again, I got to go off the clues on this one. The fact that the first story should have clearly been Florida and wasn't. This story is Florida, though. Yes. Barry, let me just ask you something. Okay. Well, what's the uh, what's the name of the county you reside in there? Uh, it is Montgomery County. Are you familiar with Cumberland County? I am. Uh, I believe so. I believe that's more towards East, the- East Pennsboro Township, PA. Wow. This is your fucking neighbors, Rose. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost scary. And so, but these body parts came from Arkansas? That's where the one, yeah, that, you know. So Arkansas to Pennsylvania. So it was fresh. The product is fresh. Well, I don't know if you, you did your, uh, your overnight, uh, your, uh, yeah, whether you used your Jamie your Ward. Uh, Jamie Gold Ward with the mail service, whether Ben James uh, down there was doing it yeah. with his guy. They gold-bellied this, where they pack it nice and keep <laughs> yeah, it all fresh. Exactly, yeah. yeah. They got it with a nice uh, barbecue sauce. So uh, next, Barry, we're <clears throat> going a little uh, religion here on this one. A pastor has apologized after berating his congregation for, quote, being poor, broke, busted, and not getting him a luxury watch. Let's see here, Barry. I get to the meat of the story here. August 7th sermon, 
Pastor Carlton Funderburk was heard ranting about his congregation not honoring him. Funderburk is a senior pastor at the Church at the Well. This is how I know you're still poor, broke, busted, and disgusted because of how you're how you've been honoring me. I'm not worth your McDonald's money. I'm not worth your Red Lobster money. Funderburg said, I ain't worth y'all's Louis Vuitton. I ain't worth your Prada. This motherfucker wants some. He wants some high-end stuff, Barry. I'm not worth your Gucci, he heard saying on the video. The identity of the person who recorded the video is unclear, but it was uploaded to TikTok. Barry Rose, Florida man or not. <sighs> another tough one uh i i've missed the first two i haven't gotten one right i'm gonna say this one's florida kansas city missouri barry the show me state and apparently the, the pastor wanted them to show him the money if you will yeah that's what it sounds like jeff and it's uh it, and first off i'm a little surprised that I'm doing so terrible, or maybe I shouldn't be surprised, but at some point you got to hit me up with a Florida story. That is a bizarre story, though, when you, again, when you stop and think about it, right? Yeah. So next story, Barry. Officials, officials say two people arrested for allegedly stealing 57 watermelons. What? A specific number. Two people arrested Monday evening for allegedly stealing 57 watermelons, officials said. Police say that uh, they were called to an area near Washington Boulevard and Highway 140 after a report of trespassing. Once deputies arrived to the area, they spoke with the victim who told them that people were stealing watermelons from his fields. Uh, hold on. Uh, let's see. Uh, uh, police stopped the driver and occupant of a car that was seen leaving the field. The search reveals 57 watermelons in the trunk and back seat. Well, there wasn't enough. Uh, you know, the, the trunk wasn't big enough, so they had to put them in the back seat, Barry. Florida man or not. So what I'm gambling on right now is, is this an all Florida man, but none of the stories are based out of Florida? Are you going for the sweep? And will I continue to say Florida or should I roll the dice and say, okay, three negative Floridas that weren't Florida B, that's where I'm going to go. This is Florida. Merced County, California. <laughs> you fucker. You totally, you're <laughs> loving it when I'm saying, yeah, this will be the all like non-Florida episode. All right. Of course I, I did. Yes. I, know, I, I, I want yeah. you to fail. <laughs> I obviously, obviously I like so, it. Uh, <laughs> what a thought all right, here. Let's, let's see. Uh, next story coming to us oh, from the good folks at USA Today, which reveals nothing to you, Barry. <clears throat> Man's body mummified in home for years while son collected his checks, officials say. Uh, let's see. Uh, officials say last month they found the body of a man that they said had likely died years ago sitting in a chair inside his home. Barry, it is literally the plot to Psycho. You've, you've of course, seen that great. Album. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, now the coroner suspects the man's son had been collecting his deceased dad's retirement money as his father decomposed. I'm sure, wow. uh, you know, that's uh, not unpleasant at all. He was basically mummified, said Kevin Raggio, the coroner. Uh, Raggio identified the man as Veda Freer, 91. He was found at his home by a police when they tried to conduct a next of kin notification last month. Apparently, the son had died suddenly that day in a neighboring county. When they went to tell his father, they found the father dead. So now they're both dead. Barry Rose, Florida man or not? So do I roll the dice and say this is where or is this the this is not Florida, Jeff. This is not Florida. Calaveras County, California in the Nevada mountains. You finally got one right. 
I'm batting uh, 200 on this uh, one. You're, you're basically <laughs> uh, you're basically keeping your head above water at this point. Yes. I've got to be honest with you. Yep. So uh, uh, next uh, next story here, Barry. Let's see here. Oh, Barry. Man chops off his own penis during dream about slaughtering a goat. Man uh, literally cut off his own penis while he was having a dream about slaughtering a goat. Uh, according to TV reports, the man identified as a 42-year-old man. Uh, the incident occurred when he woke up on August 12th to see his penis chopped off. Talk about a bad way to start your day, huh, Barry? Uh, yeah. The media reported that his wife, who was traveling at the time, found out about the ordeal after a neighbor, a neighbor contacted her. When she returned home, she discovered her husband bleeding from his manhood. Oh. She then got her husband a diaper to help reduce the flow. Hey, that's nice. Uh, honey, put this diaper on. Let's reduce the flow. Barry Rose, Florida man. <laughs> I'm going to continue on this theme. This is not Florida. This happened, uh, this happened out of the country, Jeff. Ghana. God. Yes. You are correct, Barry. This yes. Not even in the fucking United States. So, I'm thinking goats and penis mutilation was like a third world you know, country. So, exactly. yeah, you're so you you know you you listen to every single. I, thing. I'm trying, man. You're I'm trying. So smart. <laughs> you're so I don't know about so, that. So, well, that Barry, yes. Barry, Barry, nothing like a great headline. Okay, this is this is a great headline. Uh, somebody who took a creative writing class in high school or college came up with this one. <clears throat> you ready? Yes. Feds, pot puffing PetSmart perk. Wait a minute, I got to read again. Pot puffing pet smart perp with pink trimmed loot bag accidentally shoots himself in the jaw. Uh-huh. Man capped a three week crime spree across two states by firing at federal agents, which is, by the way, never a good idea, during a high speed chase shortly before he accidentally shot himself in the jaw. According to the indictment, uh, Samuel Smith uh, remains in a hospital after being treated for a gunshot wound uh, that occurred on August 20th. Uh, he's listed in stable condition. Prosecutors charged him with brandishing a firearm in furtherance of a crime of violence and assault on a federal officer. Investigators claim uh, that he was involved in 10 heists, adding up to 7,091. 7,091. That's a very specific amount. Uh, his previous rap sheet. Love the word rap sheet there, Barry. Arrest for possession of marijuana. Uh, Barry, of course, the marijuana always leads to uh, armed robberies, uh, traffic violations, and indecent exposure. In 2018, a district attorney dropped the indecent exposure charge after he pled guilty to public sexual indecency. This guy gets around Barry Rose, was the pot-puffing PetSmart perp with pink (laughs) trimmed loot bag. Was he a Florida man or not? Did you just write that? I uh, know that's what the headline is. That's why I said the guy, the guy that wrote this okay. took creative writing. Yeah, yeah, but the way you just said it as well, that was beautiful. You like this when I said was, pot puffing benchmark yes, with a pink trim was, loot bag? Okay, go ahead. That was beautiful. This did not happen in Florida. I'm going. This is a almost a uh, an episode where there won't be any Florida stories. So yes, Arizona. So what am I, three for three? Something like that? Yeah. Four for three? I'm going to say three for four because I want you to be below 500. You know, so you. I, I got to keep the, you know, keep you Slight down if I can. Redemption. Slight redemption. Yes. So Florida man or not, always a good time, Barry, to talk Florida man or not. Barry also wanted to add uh, today at the time that we're recording this uh, very controversial uh List coming out. Everyone loves a good list. You and I do our top tens from uh, various things. However, Ariel Hawani 
Uh, I have no idea who that is. Apparently, it might sure. be somebody who works with the WWE, though. Came out with a list of the top 10 British wrestlers of all time. Barry Rose, rough top of your head, who would be your number one choice? Ooh, let's see. My number one choice, Billy Robinson. And that's kind of who I thought you'd say, mister. Yeah. Uh, personally, I'd go DK, but uh, that's me. So, Barry, let me give you Errol Hawani's top 10 wrestlers and allow you to co- uh, comment. Number one, uh, Davy Boy Smith. Okay. I don't have a huge issue with Davy Boy. Yay, top three, maybe <laughs> even top two. I don't know if he's number one, but he certainly belongs on the list and very high up on it. Number two, his lordship, William Regal. Now head of the uh, was it the Blackpool Club or whatever like that. Uh, Blackpool number th- Combat Club. Yes, yes. thank you. Uh, number three is the Dynamite Kid. As I said, absolutely belongs there. So number four, Barry. Now you're going to get into some uh, some dispute here because uh, they're getting into some of the WWE superstars, uh, not wrestlers, superstars that uh, you know that I maybe am not as familiar with as you. Barry Rose, number four, Drew McIntyre. Oh, Jesus. Does he I, not belong at number four, Barry? This list is such an abortion on so many levels. See, that's a word that Dave Meltzer used to not like to use in the Observer back in the 80s. Because well, remember when people called him out because he said the JYD had an abortion of a match and people were like, ah! Anyway, oh, please. He used to call him junk food dog, too. Exactly. Which yes. also got him in a lot of shit. Th- this list it's a travesty. Let me also say Ariel Helwani is a he's a Canadian journalist, and I believe his focus generally is on MMA, and it's not on professional wrestling. Certainly, he by coming up with this type of list, he may fancy himself as a wrestling historian. With that being said, one look at this list tells you that he's clearly got no idea what the fuck he's talking about, and it's okay, well, very it's a very it's better. Okay, number five. A guy whose name, and some people have pointed out, and I'm not sure about this, uh, about different guys that are on the list that maybe aren't exactly British. They might be from Scotland or the uh, or Ireland. But number five, Fit Finley. Uh, we've reviewed a Fit Finley match uh, uh, on this show before. Uh, a great talent. Should he be at number five? I don't know, Barry. Did they did he call them all British wrestlers or was it like UK uh, wrestlers? Top ten British wrestlers. Yes, that's what he Okay, said. so he he's made a mistake with that too. I so first off, I this should be the top ten United Kingdom yes. wrestlers, but his list is uh so no. Drew McIntyre, who was the other one you just said? Uh, I said Drew McIntyre and Fit Finley. Fit Finley was great though. I mean it, Fit Finley possibly he was great before he ever came over to the US. This guy was a major star over in the UK. I could see him in a top 10 greatest UK of all time. So that one I'm actually okay with. I think you could make a case for him. Drew McIntyre, you could not make a case at this stage of his career. Number six, Lord Alfred Hayes. Tough one. And a lot of us only know Lord Al Hayes as the goof that he played in the WWF. He was, however, a very solid and serious manager and wrestler for years. I, I would have no problem with him, like, 9 or 10. On possibly, but I honestly, I, I got to say, you could probably come up with 10 wrestlers uh, from the U.K. Or, or England that were better. Again, I think Helwani is looking at this based off of either partly his youth or what he saw with uh, videotape years later. 
Oh, really? You think he did a lot of research on this, do you? I don't think he did one fucking iota of research (laughs) on this because, honestly, if you're putting Lord Al Hayes on here, I don't think Helwani has ever seen a Lord Al Hayes match coming over from England uh, or even West Texas. I don't think it exists because apparently Lord Al Hayes was a great wrestler over in England and West Texas. He just, you know, the rest of it in his career in the U.S. wasn't quite the same. He was more of a manager, I think. And Lord Al Hayes' partner out in Amarillo was? Who was his partner? Les Thorne. Oh, yeah, yeah. So they had a, yeah. a very interesting feud with uh, the Fargos, who were uh, Johnny Fargo, a.k.a. Greg Valentine, and oh, wow. Don Fargo, yes. Like when I first started getting the magazines, that was a big uh, big feud they were talking about in the magazines. Very yeah. number seven, oh, your all-time greatest pro- British wrestlers of all time. Very, I know at number seven, you're immediately thinking Paige. <laughs> Did he really put that down? Yes. There? All right. So first, again, the first thing I thought of myself was, who the fuck is Paige? Now right. I that I'm not a WWE <laughs> guy, but I'm like, who the fuck is Paige? Is who Paige the- any kind of talent at all, Barry? So I got to tell you, Billy Robinson, Tony St. Clair, Mark Rollerball, Rocco, and, and Tony Charles, Tony Charles from Wales, actually. Adrian Street, I believe he is also Welsh. I, I, no, actually, he's English. He lives in Wales now. They're, they all, they're either rolling over in their graves or they're just, you know what? Ariel Helwani, let me, let me, let me tell you what makes me angry about this. This is a guy that he makes a living being a journalist and writer. So where you have to go out and DoorDash, Jeff, you have to put gas. Ah, please, it's Uber Eats. Thank you, mister. Uber Eats, whatever the, right? You've got to work for your money in order to pay your bills. I obviously, you know, I work. That's how I make my money. And this guy is a journalist by trade. I don't believe he's Uber Eatsing or doing anything else. He's not working for Open Table or any other company. Not working for Open Table or even my new company. How, how, what's your new company's name? It's called Salido. How embarrassing is it to put this out, especially as a journalist, that you would put out a list like this if you're a journalist? If you were another goof on Facebook and there's 50 million goofy people on Facebook, that doesn't yeah, mean When do you get to Twitter? Oh, it's, I heard that's even worse. I'm not on Twitter. I hear it's even worse. But there, there's so many people that – you and I talked about this years ago with this tag team list, and it was clear the guy was a fan of the WWF in the 1980s. So there were all these teams missing. I can erase that because there's so many goofy people. When you're a journalist and your entire career is based off of your work and you're being paid for it, this is a fucking – the highest proportions. Okay, number eight, Barry, Wade <laughs> Barrett. I, I mean, I don't – Wade Barrett was a mid-carder in the WWE at best and then after a very shortened career retired – I can come up, and I think logically, I'm not talking about from an emotional standpoint, I could probably list 50 to 100 people off the top of my head who deserve to be on this list more than Wade Barrett. Not a knock on Wade Barrett. It's a knock on Ariel Hawani, who should be really fucking embarrassed by this. Okay, next, number nine, a guy (laughs) that I think we've discussed before that you were a fan of, and that's Nigel McGuinness. 
I was, but again, I'm still not going to put him on a list. Nigel McGuinness was a great wrestler. I think anybody that saw him was probably a fan of his because Nigel McGuinness, McGuinness was having great matches during an era where we weren't getting a lot of great stuff. And he is great. Is he top 10 of all time? He's not. So speaking of top 10, at number 10 on the Arcadian Vanguard Network, one of the people that comes on to discuss British uh, wrestling history is Alan Blackstock. Uh, and I follow Alan on Twitter. He's a great follow on Twitter, by the way. And he has been championing, uh, championing, whatever the word is, uh, the induction to the Observer Hall of Fame of Big Daddy. Now, Big Daddy Barry is one of those guys who was sort of the guy he was. I want to say he was Hulk Hogan in uh, in Great Britain and the UK but not quite as much of a talent, which ought to tell you just everything you know about Big Daddy. A huge name, pop culture, like people would know the name Big Daddy. Uh, If you went up and said, hey, who do you know from wrestling? Uh, They would say, oh, Big Daddy. But by all accounts, Big Daddy, yeah, not a very good wrestler. And a guy, I think his brother owned a promotion or something like that, which helped him uh, uh, with his push and stuff like that. was a huge name, but... Let's not kid ourselves. This guy was not a good wrestler in any extent at all. And he's number 10, Barry. Very quickly, your thoughts on Big Daddy. Oh, my God. So this is... I've got more to piss you off. Don't worry. Okay. okay. Jeez, I, I don't know if that's possible. So if I was coming up with a list of maybe the 10 biggest draws in the history of UK wrestling, I think Big Daddy's name would have to be on that. I think that's a fair assessment. If I'm, if you're telling me, and, and I don't know what his phrasing was, that this is the, the top 10 greatest British wrestlers of all time, and you've just put Big Daddy on this list, honestly, you should be so fucking embarrassed, Ariel Helwani. You should turn in your – whoever you're working for should request your credentials and uh, fire you on the spot. Clearly, you may know MMA. You, he's had a job in MMA for five to ten years. I don't know. It's been a long – I think that name's been around forever. Professional wrestling, you clearly have no fucking idea what that you're talking about. Please don't ever do this again. I, I, here's the question. Can we get him to come on the show? I would love <laughs> to have this conversation well, with him. I think him if he and, hears any portion of this segment, he's going to say, I don't want any fucking to do with those guys. All right. So now, Barry, we'll get to the honorable mention names. <laughs> yes. These are the people that weren't quite good enough to be on the top ten list, Barry. Number ten, a, a guy that you did not mention that, that definitely probably should be on this top ten. Gentleman Chris Adams was not mentioned. Yeah, so look, Chris Adams had a career in England, had a career in America. Even if you weren't a Chris Adams fan, he was on top really in two different territories, which would have been Texas. You could take any of the Texas territories. And then he worked for uh, Bill Watts. And, you know, maybe he was semi-main. California. California, L.A. in the dying days. But Chris Adams was over. Chris Adams also having good matches. How you would put – I guess you're you're putting Paige. Again, I don't think he's – this list was constructed the way that any of us will understand it. If you were putting your draws, maybe Paige deserves to be on it because she is from England and she was a draw in the WWE, not necessarily even because of her. You know, they were drawing bigger houses because it's the WWE. She was right place, right time. Yeah. Chris Adams should be on a list, though. Yes, I would agree with that. Okay. Next, again, honorable mentions here, Giant Haystacks. <laughs> 
Yeah, isn't uh, it, well, I'm trying to remember. It was Giant Haystacks the guy that got in the match with Antonio Inoki, where Inoki legitimately beat the shit out of him because the guy that was Giant Antonio. Oh, okay, you're right. Okay, I'm yeah, sorry. Giant Haystacks was the guy that came into WCW, I think, to face Hogan, and and he was clearly over the hill. I don't think they called him Giant Haystacks. I believe they Swamp. called him Loch Ness. Loch Ness, thank you. That's exactly what they thank called you, him. Thank you, Lewis. So, yeah. uh, so next on the list, Barry, the original Kendo Nagasaki, not the guy from CWF. There was a uh, a gimmick guy in the U.K. who oh, apparently got, got over huge uh, as Kendo Nagasaki. Yeah. Still alive. And uh, so what his gimmick, which was different, was – he would do the kendo stick thing with the mask on and the body, you know, where you watch guys who do the whole kendo stick, not not like Sandman, but guys who actually practice the art of, I guess, the kendo stick. I believe he was a, a gigantic deal in England, also worked Calgary, I don't think for too long, but fairly briefly. Hard for me to say if he is because I don't know much about him. I never saw a match of his, but. Again, this is Ariel Helwani probably pulling up a ring magazine from 1977 and saying, oh, yeah, biggest star in England, Kendo Nagasaki. Let me put it on my list. So uh, next in the honorable mention category, Mark Rollerball Rocco. We have reviewed uh, at least one of his matches before. Mark Rollerball Rocco, besides being very uh, well known as Mark Rollerball Rocco, was also the original Black Black Tiger. Tiger. Before Eddie Guerrero, he was the guy in the early 80s that had the matches in New Japan with uh, Satoru Sayama as Tiger Mask. He, in the, uh, the the cartoon or the comic book of Tiger Mask, Black Tiger, was his biggest rival. Uh, and so uh, they gave that character to Mark Rocco, and Mark Rocco was a tremendous talent, Barry. And I mentioned Mark Rocco at the uh – when we were talking about guys, Mark Rocco, in my opinion, is top five, maybe even top three and absolutely should be right there. Mark Rocco was doing shit. You know, it, you talked about Dynamite Kid and I agree. Dynamite Kid to me is top top two or three for a lot of reasons. I think he covers every base. Mark Rocco was doing a lot of Dynamite Kid stuff long before Dynamite Kid was. So he deserves to be much higher. This is, a, again, putting Big Daddy or Haystacks above him, Page, Drew McIntyre. It shows that he has no idea what he's talking about. It's embarrassing. And in some ways, it's also insulting. Next, Johnny Saint. Again, top five or ten, hundred percent should be Robbie, up there. Robbie Brookside. Yeah, that's a different one. So Robbie Brookside was a guy that never made it big in the U.S. despite a couple of attempts. And I think he was already over the hill. Robbie Brookside, if I'm correct, was the guy that started essentially with uh, Steve Regal, Darren Matthews, uh, and uh, was a guy. I think they were even a tag team at one point. And Robbie Brookside was in the U.S. I believe he was WCW briefly, just never made it over in this country. But apparently a big star in England, especially at a time when wrestling over there, there was a period where there was literally not a lot of wrestling taking place and uh, it was just dying. Hey, I have one for you right now, and, and he's Scottish, I believe, so I don't know. But is Jeff Ports on this list? No, he is not. Right. So, again, if, if we're going to go all UK, Jeff Ports deserves to be on this list also. Okay. Uh, next uh, name you mentioned. Adrian Street. You know, the respect that Adrian Street has 
take out the gimmick, whether you liked or hated the gimmick. I would, I didn't love it at times, but Adrian Street knew how to wrestle, knew how to have good matches, was a shooter. And also he was really in some ways, you know, you look at it, certainly gorgeous George had done this gimmick, you know, in the fifties, right? And then into the sixties. And then Adrian Street started doing it in the U.S. in the 70s. But Adrian Street was a heat magnet. And I, I saw Adrian Street wrestle Dusty Rhodes in Miami. And, and they weren't a good pairing for each other. Adrian, I think, physically was too small to be working with Dusty. But at the same time, when he started doing the skipping routine on Miami Beach, fucking fans were losing their minds just going off. So he was a heat magnet. Again, it's an insult to put him so low. So next on the list of honorable mention, Barry, again, honorable mention, not worthy of the top 10 British wrestlers of all time. Oh, Barry, it's your old friend, Billy Robinson. Not worthy of the top 10, Barry. Not if you weren't pissed of- off before, how, how are you feeling now? Not worthy of the top 10. And again, so this is where I could say, Again, Ariel has completely fucked this up because Robinson was a big star in the U.S. in the 70s into the early 80s, up really through the mid 80s. He was a big star in the U.S. and uh, huge star in Japan, drew a lot of money and also England as well. And to have him so low tells me again this is coming from a journal. This is what gets me so fucking mad. Again, if this was some idiot just going, you know, the Mulkey brothers are, you just laugh it off. This is a guy that makes a living being a journalist, which I, if I'm correct, means you're doing research. You've done no research. Billy Robinson, take out my personal feelings of Billy Robinson. Billy Robinson is top five easy for this list. Next, Barry, on the honorable mention list, Mick McManus. So I don't know enough about Mick McManus to tell you whether he deserves it or not. I I know he was a big star in England. That's about all I can tell you. So the last one on the honorable mention list, I I have (laughs) to tell you, this is a a great – I'm sure this was intentional, but they list Klondike Kate. Uh, I have no idea who Klondike Kate is. But just the fact that they spell her name K-L-O-N-D-Y-K-E leads me to believe she may have been uh, portrayed as a heel for the uh, the U.K. fans. I want to say Klondike Kate was either married or aligned with somebody. Might have been the wife of Giant Haystacks or Big Daddy or something. But I know that she was a large female in England. and. You know, again, I, I I have to question whatever the criteria is here because I don't know if Klondike Kate was a big draw. I can clearly tell you she wasn't having five star matches, so I don't know. I honestly, this this says to me Ariel Helwani picked up his stack of observers and just started circling names. That's all I get from it. I, I I'm imploring somebody out here, whether it's you, Jeff, Sweet Lou the mediocre Brian last or anyone else, any any of our listeners, if they want to reach out to Ariel Helwani and let them know that we would love to discuss this list with him, I'm begging for this to happen. 
because I can fucking and I'm sure he's going to come on and be the nicest guy, which will completely <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll backtrack like a million miles when that happens. Right. But I, this has got me fired up because this list. OK, so so before we close out this segment, let me ask you, is there anyone whose name was not mentioned in the top 10 or in the honorable mention that is from Great Britain or England that is not on this list that at least should have been mentioned honorable mention that you can think of? Uh, and I, Les Thornton, and I don't know where he was from. Yeah. I, I we're always we're always going to say England, but I know it's the UK. I'm just not where sure he's from. But again, I don't think that mattered to Ariel Helwani. You don't have on Les Thornton or Tony Charles, who were or Jeff Ports, even Jeff Ports. Jeff Ports was maybe criminally the most underrated. He was 30 years old and he looked 50, right? So they didn't do much with him as a wrestler. Jeff Ports may have been one of the best I ever saw. So. That's a guy that I would absolutely look at. And I'm sure that there's some others that I'm not. Ted Heath. Ted Heath. I, and John Foley. But John Foley, I could see not. Ted Heath was spectacular. Ted Heath was a guy that uh, brought forth all of the uh, snake pit learnings. He was a hooker, a shooter, and just great. Oh, what about the, the Burt Azaridi? And I don't know Burt, but if I was going from a standpoint with Number one of all time, because what he did in England was li- he's like the Ricky Dozan of, yes. of Japanese rights. So Bert was the guy responsible in England for, for professional wrestling. So, so if, if you don't if, include him, you don't know about your history, right? OK, so if you were going with, let's just say, off of this list of guys that he uh, and Paige, if you would like, uh, of the people <laughs> that are mentioned, I'm guessing you're not uh, yeah. the ones that he listed on his top 10 and it's audible mention, who do you think top three of all time are? Top three. If I was giving you my list of not who I love the most, but who I think are top three of all time, Dynamite Kid's on that list, Rollerball Rocco's on that list, and most likely Johnny Saint. Now you're saying to yourself, wait, Billy Robinson's not? Billy Robinson, again, he, he's my favorite wrestler of all time. He's the best I ever saw, but I, I don't know what the criteria. I'm going off of what Dynamite Kid did because he revolutionized professional wrestling. Whether that's admitted or not, he absolutely did. Rollerball Rocco was the guy that started that movement in England and Japan. Johnny Saint is kind of the, the, the living grandfather of that whole era at this point of that sixties and seventies era, which may have had the best wrestling of all time. That's my top three. And your dynamite kid made it, Jeff. There you go. So as long as DK's in your top, there you go. That's all that matters. Now let's, let's talk about Davy boy for a minute, because I think he had Davy boy at number one, right? Correct. Not even close. Davy boy. And I think Davy boy belongs, uh, definitely top 10, maybe top five ish. I don't, I don't think it. he's number one, though, but I, 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 mean, I don't see it. I see Davey Boy possibly squeaking in a top 10 if a case is made for him. At the same time, Davey Boy to me is top 15 or 20. I just don't, you know, again, the impact he had over here was great. He was a big draw in two companies and as a tag and a single. With that, his quality of matches greatly dropped after after he discovered steroids and Davy Boy went from like 140 pounds to like 240 and he wasn't having great matches any longer having Davy Boy at number 1 again tells me you have no idea what you're talking about 
barely would make it into the top 10, but that's a conversation for another time. Well, and, you know, uh, as I've learned uh, through our own research, when Davey Boy first started out in the business, he was billed as young David Smith, I believe. Uh, and yes. when he started teaming with Dynamite, he would go over to the, uh, the Japan and stuff like that. And they were a phenomenal team. And as you said, when uh, Davey was a strong kid and, you know, he, he lifted weights and stuff like that. It's when he got on the, the heavy gas and really, uh, his, the stuff that he was doing besides his incredible strength move, uh, you know, moves, he was, he was doing the power stuff too because he was so strong. But as he got further on the gas and became more and more muscle bound, just almost, I don't want to say grotesquely, but, uh, he was just so tremendously swollen looking that, yes. uh, while he still was incredibly strong, all the stuff that made him a superstar, the high flying moves that dynamite had, you know, uh, not, not taught him, but had, basically incorporated into their matches that made him such a star that was all gone. And he was strictly doing the strength stuff, but I don't think there's any question that, that Davy boy was certainly a huge deal and a huge star. As you said, in both companies in this country made a huge deal, made lots of money for Vince with, uh, you know, the pay-per-views over from the UK when they would do the match with him and Brett. And that was a great match. But as, as great as that match was, it's hard for people to realize that, Five years before that, maybe before, maybe even 10 years before that, Davy Boy was even better. I mean, he was incredible uh, around 1984. If you go back into the New Japan library and you see some of the stuff uh, where he and Dynamite were having matches, not only against one another, but with uh, George Takano as the Cobra. They were just absolutely friggin' amazing, and what a great talent. But let's just say that Mr. Helwani... It might have got a few things wrong on this list, <laughs> which is the nicest way you could ever put that. Again, I I am challenging Mr. Helwani to come on here, talk about this list with us. Jeff, how how adept and what how deep is your knowledge of MMA currently? Uh, usually I call Bob McKean and say, hey, Bob, I got a question for you. <laughs> OK, because I, I haven't followed MMA in years, so I don't know. But I know he's adept at that. But again, if anybody's got a, a link to Ariel, I know that he's on Twitter, which is where all this has been posted. I think it would be great if the entire Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry universe comes together and fucking flood this guy. So he'll come on the show. So for two reasons, you, we can hear us discuss this and then you can hear me backtrack when it turns out he's a nice guy. All right, Barry, round of the turn, and we are heading for home. Another episode of Breaking Kayfabe about Adrian and Barry in the books. Are you about ready to take it home, my man? This was a fun episode. I don't know if it's I always was. fun. Uh, Memphis brawls, a little Florida man or not, uh, all this kind of the moving shit, uh, drama with Zoe going to, uh, to pit. It's a well-rounded episode. Why, Barry? Because here you get a little bit of everything. We don't just Stick to wrestling, Barry. I don't know if you uh, knew that. We don't. So, anyway, so on behalf of my uh, co-host Barry Rose, uh, the uh, the crying dad, you know the the, the tearful dad. Uh, yeah, exactly. that's what he's known as now. Somebody's yeah. going to do uh, some Weepy sort of artist. Dad. Weepy yeah. dad. That's what I was looking for. Yeah. <laughs> and our producer, Sweet Lou Kippelman, out in the city by the bay. Uh, I will say that I am Jeff Bowdrin in my new home in venerable Gainesville, Georgia. Uh, and Mrs. Bowdrin's happy. So guess what that means, Barry. You're happy. Thank you very kindly. And until next week, Lewis, take it home, my man.